Amnon chapter two. Amnon having Indian Amro Batelavikim Daikar. Now, what? Now let's think deeply about this, grasping what it means to have a likeness or some sense of similarity. We don't say a sense of similarity to the word Hashem. We don't say a sense of similarity to the word um, Kale, right? Another name for God, Shakai, all these that, specifically the word Alakim. No other name. Because we know what the word means. How do we know what the word means? Because it's a halacha. It's an actual part of Jewish law that you need to know when you're using the word Elohim or the word Hashem, what do you mean? And the halacha is that when you use the, the name Elohim, right, we mean Baal HaKoychus Kulam, the master of all forces. That's the intention you have, right? When you use the word Hashem, the four-letter name of God, you mean that which is beyond all time, right? was, is, will be. That which is the master of everything. So it's much, much, much more abstract, right? We can connect more directly to the name Elohim. Why? Because we can see the forces of the world. In fact, um, let's have a look. Like, well, we'll get in there in a minute, but... Um, Everything that has power in the world is going to say has the name Elohim attached to it. We're going to see how far it'll take that soon in, in the Hagar in one of the kind of footnotes. But, and what happens like this, the word Elohim is a secular word. When it's a plural word, it's anything with power. It's judges, it's rulers, it's angels, it's anything that has power, right? The natural order and so on, the supernatural order. When we stop thinking about these things as independent forces and realize they are all just the will of God, and what we say is the master of all forces, the root of all power, the power of all power, then it stops becoming plural and it all becomes one thing. And it stops becoming lots of forces and energies and laws and order, and it becomes the creator of the universe. It becomes the name of Hashem, right? Now, okay, but let's now have a look at what he says before he gets there. That the way of God is not like the way of man. When a human being builds a building, for example, made, so say, from wood. When you build a building out of wood or brick or concrete or anything, you don't create the wood or brick or concrete. You take raw materials that already existed and you structure them. You put a bit of cement between them, right? Now, once you've structured them all in place, if you then withdraw, the building and state. Why? Because you never created the raw materials. You never created the laws of physics. You never created all these things. You simply shuffle a few things around, or maybe a lot of things around, walk away, where it never depended upon you in the first place. But he, may his name be best, God, but just like at the moment of the creation of all the worlds, plural. Now, this is something we're going to come back to, what it means, worlds, plural. Ra'am, he created them. He created all of them out of nothing. The worlds exist from no raw material but the will of Hashem, the will of the infinite creator. So the closest we can come to imagining this, right, is when we think a world into existence. We shut our eyes, we think a world into existence. Now, that is... Nowhere near something from nothing because we have neurons firing, we have memories we're building out of, but it's enough, it's close enough, even at that level of dependency. If we stop thinking about it, it stops existing. Much, much, much more so is something that really, really, really depends on absolutely nothing for its existence except the will of God. It cannot exist if that will isn't there, right? There's nothing else for it to exist within. 
creator of the entire or reality. It can't exist anywhere else. So the Kecha Bilti Tachlis is infinite power. Kein me'oz kol yom v'chol rega mamash. Every day and every moment literally. Now that phrase is not an idle phrase. He phrased it that way on purpose and he's going to come back to it. Very often he's just throwing words and you think every word is very, very measured here. So every day and every moment we're going to come back to what, what he means by that because he could share all the time. Kol koyach mitziusam every single bit of energy, power of their existence, the sidram, the structure, the kiyumam, and their maintenance. So every electron in this universe, every part of the fiber of space-time, everything in the spiritual worlds above, and every single thing, its structure, its laws, its dynamics, is, is the will and thoughts, if you like, of, of the creator of the universe. is dependent exactly on the will that he's putting into them every single moment. Koyach, power, shifas, or chodosh, the renewal of something new. Now, this adds an extra dimension to this. Because on the one hand, Hashem's outside of time. So everything is like a single creation. And on the other hand, our experience moving in time, every second in a way the world is brand new. Because the fact the world existed a second ago does not guarantee it's going to exist in another second. Hashem could decide that's how long it exists and then it ends. So there's a sense in which there's also something new happening every second, right? A renewal of the creation, another second, another second, another second, another second. Or if you like, from an outside time, it's that God didn't just create those seconds, but also those seconds. Each one in a certain sense is independent because each one could have existed without the other. God could have existed the world up till now and then it stops. Right, the fact is another second is another thing, another thing, another thing, another thing. And that's going to be even more so in our own experience of the reality of time. Where from our, every single second we have is like a new, a new will of God to give us another second, another second, another second. By the way, if you stop and think about this ever, it's incredibly powerful. Shut your eyes and realize I'm breathing another second. That's another thought of Hashem, right? Another second. We'll, we'll see whether how, how little is a moment in Judaism, right? How little is a moment in Torah, right? How much kind of do we call one pulse, if you like, of creative energy? One pulse, we'll get there, okay? So there's a new light, a new light coming to the world. By the way, you already see, just it's a nice ashkocha, we're learning this around Hanukkah time, that we call every act of creation a new light. Literally, that's, that's what you think about, that it's this, the lights we bring out in Hanukkah reveal to some degree that every single act of creation is really a light. Is it lighted every moment of the world, however dark it seems? Okay, it's another topic. But, uh, if a Kashmir would stop for one second, the entire thing would be like nothing, it'd be gone. Right? That's, that's all it is. Like, if you think something, you stop thinking, it's, it's like it never existed. Kashmir did that, this whole history of the universe would disappear like it never had existed in the first place. And we see this in the first one. Oh, sorry, yeah. There's, there's, there's an interesting distinction between something which is passively, which is actively sustained and yeah. passively, you know, it, it was created and then it was sort of left to its own devices. That's right. And he's making quite a big distinction between saying, no, it's actually actively being sustained. 100%. Because something can be left to its own devices to the extent to which there's something else responsible for its existence. Right, the machinery of creation exists without us. The laws of physics exist without us. The materials of the universe exist without us. That's why they never depend on us, right? So we can shift a few things around, but that's, and then we walk away. They'll last a few hundred years, but that's because it never needed us really in the first place. When something does need us, it can't exist without us, right? 
And when you got the real, when you realize that all finite things need a single infinite creator, then you realize there is nowhere else to put this universe. There's nothing else it can depend on. If it ever stopped thinking, it would not, not exist. And this is what the name Elohim is going to refer to. Okay? That all the power in all the universe, everything from every electron to every spin to every bit of the energy in the curvature of space, to all that's going on at the quantum level, to all that's going on at the, 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 the larger gravitational levels, and so on and so forth, and all, all electromagnetic radiation, every single thing there is everywhere, and all the spiritual forces beneath that, and beneath that, and beneath that, and beneath that, all of that is just an expression of one root of all its existence. And that's the name of the king. And somehow we're going to have an image of that. That's going to be where this is going to go. Okay, so this is super deep. We have to really make sure that we don't get that concept wrong. This is not, as I say, it's not sort of safer, not sort of what you can learn a little bit because you can end up with some very wrong concepts and even potentially some dangerously, uh, um, in many, many different ways you can get this wrong. The Rambam's entire Moen of Uchum, the entire guide, hides this type of level of thing. He doesn't use the exact type of thinking, but it's the ladder of how you get closer and closer to, to, to HaKadosh Baruch to God, whilst the over thing is much more focused on making sure you negate, so you never turn into idolatry. These are all, here he's going, he's going to take us there and then refine, help us refine it and clarify what this concept is. Just like the men of the Great Assembly, oh, some of you, just like the, they, these are the people who were the last of the Naveen, the last of the prophets, the first of the leaders of the, of the Beis Second Temple era, right? This is just before the Hanukkah story. And they put together most of the Tfilis that later became, became our fixed davening, but already during Bais Cheney, during the Second Temple, there was already um, a lot of these Tfilis around. And when we get to Kriya Shema, every morning we get to read the Shema, we start with two brachas. Before the first one is Yoytzar, that God right, creates light of a new day. And we finish the bracha by saying, who renews in his goodness, every single day, Tomit always, the work of creation here. Now, listen to that phrase, who renews in his goodness every day. Now, I could have said every day the work of creation. That would mean the sun rises every day. There's a new day, but it added a key word in. Tomid, always. So he renews in his goodness, always, not just once a day, not just when the sun rises, but always is renewing the world. So on the one hand, there's a new energy, if you like, there's a new day, the earth spun again, the sunlight shining, where God will wake up, and there's this new gift of life given again. But there's another dimension, which is Tomid. That's actually in some sense happening at every single moment all the time. It literally means what it says. If it says Tomid every moment, always, it means always. It's going to be a big point you'll make many, many times in this safer, in this, in this work here, is that when the rabbis say something, the rabbis mean Chazal, right? Although it may mean many after as well, but certainly Chazal. When they say something, they mean it. They phrase things in particular ways. You should take that phraseology very seriously. And often a peculiar phrase, which you kind of just gloss over, just like we do with the Torah, where we know it's Hashem's own words, so you actually stop and listen to each word, and suddenly it opens up a whole level of meaning. The rabbis write in a kind of way like that too. Right? Chazal writes in that kind of way. So if they fix in the davening the word tomid, which the sentence doesn't need, meaning always, it means always, right? And just in case you think that might be an overreading, 
Every single moment, there's another aspect of creation. They have a proof. The next words say, as we say, and we quote the apostle continuum, not and I say it doesn't say God made the great lights at the beginning of creation, but makes them in the present tense. So God is making the sun right now and the moon right now and every star in the universe that's around right now is being made right now. Right? Now, I'm gonna skip the Hagar, skip the um footnotes if you like. Let's get Baruch Hashem, Baruch in the present. Yeah, correct, correct. Yes, yes, yes. Excellent. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. This is why I call him Ha'elakim. means Baal Ha'koyches Kudom. He's the master of every single force. Shekol Koyach Proti. Every single detail and sub-detail of any force. In any world. Ha'koyel Hu Yisbashamay. Everything. It's him. He is the root of it. So right now, our hearts are pumping. That's his thoughts. Right now, there's electrons all over our body, but it's all, that's what's going on. There's giving them the, the energy and the power every single moment. Any moment, he can restructure them, redo them, as he wills. That's the end of chapter two. Now let's go back and do the two Haggais, and then uh, we'll see if we can make a start on chapter three. Okay. Um, Next, Hagar. So let's go back now and look at the first of these footnotes, Hagar's. Now, what a footnote means is that he wants to show you how, he wants to give you a taste of how powerful and compelling this concept is. He's giving you little concepts that have immense explanatory power. They can change your understanding of so many things. But he wants to also get to the main points. Say, Lisa Hagar, which kind of gives you a sense of some level of another level of depth. This is just exposed for you. But in a way, it's, a side point to the main thrust of where he wants to go. But to gra- it will help him grasp it, so that's how he puts it here. He says, even though you can't see visibly any change, right? Right now, it looks like this table exists because it existed one second ago, right? And, and each one of us exists. So it doesn't look to us like some new creation. Omnom, he says, I've had a these four upper foundations. These are the Roots of everything. Let's explain what this is. So the Greeks used to speak about four elements, four foundational elements, right? Earth, water, fire, and air. And the Rambam speaks about, in fact, most uh, of the of the Rishonim, uh, the commentators speak about these four as well. And the Mukabalim speak about them too. And people sometimes say, oh, well, but nowadays we know there's many more elements, right? But that's always true and not true at the same time. Halacha, Jewish law and Jewish thought functions operate at the level of the human eye. Right? Something's too small to be seen by the human eye. Many in halacha, it's like it doesn't, it doesn't exist. What insects forbidden to eat? One that you can see at the level of the human eye. What's called a blemish on an asterisk? Something you can see at the level of the human eye. In other words, creation exists on many, many levels. Levels that are hidden to us, levels that are revealed to us. Right? We operate at the level of the human eye. At the level of the human eye, the Greeks were correct. All the sources are correct. The Kabbalah is correct. There's... Everything in the world is those four things that we ever experienced. I'll give you an example. Let's take, take a paper on a book. So what's the story of a paper? Where did the paper come from? Tree. A tree, right? Where did the, every cell in the tree come from? Oh. The mud. It's reconstituted mud. It's part of the earth, right? 
Um, take every cell in the human body. Where did it come from? Either an animal or a plant. Where did the animal, every cell in the animal, from plants today, right? Get together the food tree. Where did every cell in the plant come from? Mud. Everything is reconstituted mud. Where does a smartphone come? Metals and things that were in the ground, except for your water supply. That's your plasmic fluid and your blood and so on, right? And except for the air you breathe in and except for the energy in the world, right? That's the four elements, right? Which also four states of matter, solid, liquid, gas, and energy as well. So this is a hundred. This is correct, right? Hundred percent correct. Now, this, they themselves may then be made of smaller and smaller things too. They're, they're fine, but those are the four things that everything would exist within. Now, why has it got to be four? There's a lot of things in the natural world that are four, right? And he says because the reason that Hashem makes things in four states and makes our experience of everything come from four different sources is the Avon de Kulikuniska Bazoya. The root of all of them is ultimately the Rambam lists many, many fours that exist throughout creation. It's interesting that nowadays in physics we talk about four fundamental forces, but the root of all of this is shows the root and, and the inner dimension of all of them named Dalad Oisius of is because there are four letters of God's name. Right? And that's why we end up existing in a three-dimensional space with gravity, which means that whenever you spread out in the world, you move in four directions, you have four polarities, and there's many, many fours. Right? Hamis. Right, So when you take these letters of the name of Hashem and rearrange them and rearrange them and rearrange them and rearrange them, it's like you can start with four fundamental forces and a few quarks and leptons and you combine them and you end up with the complexity of the entire universe, right? So you can start with four letters of the name of Hashem and certain spiritual root forces, if you like, recombine, 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 and you get all that can ever happen in the spiritual universe, the physical universe, and so on. Um, the root and root of everything, means there's a root of these letters, right? And there's the root of the root of these letters. These are referring to different places in Kabbalistic literature talks about. We can't grasp it at all. And he does them at every single moment. Now, why did he have to tell us all this? What's going on? Now listen to this. The, the, the chemical composition, right? And the integration of these forces these are the, now these letters, each number, so it's 1,080 different permutations of the divine name. Now, how do you get 1,080 permutations of the divine name? So it starts with the fact that there's four letter placeholders in the divine name, three different letters, there's a Yud, a He, and a Vav, right? If you put all the possible combination of Yud, He's, and Vav's, right, and, and then permit, permutate the fourth one is you get three times three times three times three, you have 54. I think it's to do with the vowels next. You multiply it by 20, you end up with 1,080. So whatever it is, all the different possible permutations, right, you'll end up with, um, with 1,080 um, combinations, right? And, and those letter combinations, like as Hashem puts them in place, there's almost like the world is recreated, the same world, same structure, but it's got something new pulsating within it. So... Now, right, that's, that means every single moment there's some new, this creation being renewed. It is in a way a continuation of creation a moment before, but there's something new being added that wasn't there before. And throughout every single... Um, there's an addition. It is, yeah, yeah. Now, based on the, on the changes of the, of the, uh, the, the vowels of the Tatra of they become the 1,080 moments in an hour. An hour in halacha, as a thing called a rega moment, there are 1,080 within every hour, okay? So in halacha, if you say something's a moment, it means 1,080th of an hour. 
you know, perplexed, baffled by that. Yeah. So what it means is, is every 1,080th of an hour, which was like two or three seconds or something, right? Every 1,080th of an hour, there's a new, some spiritual potential in that moment that is not there a moment later, and not there a moment later. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why when you have an opportunity to admit, so you should always try and do it straight away. Because there's something waiting at that particular moment if you missed it, you can still do the mitzvah, but something's, something's gone. It was, it, was, it was supposed to be that particular. There's another moment that's created. Yeah, no, that moment wasn't originally meant to con- carry that. This is the perfect moment for it. You're right. If you miss the moment, you can still you know, do it a few hours later. It's still a mitzvah. But there is something missing, right? Something missing. Right? If you ever feel like doing something good and you can do it, just do it. So it's wanna... not a reconfiguration of the enemies. It's an addition every time. Well, well, in a way, this goes, the cycle repeats every hour, right? right? But since the hour itself is new, there's something also new about that hour. And then since the, the hour and moment of the day, by the way, if you think about it, whenever we want to talk about Bayomi Mahim, think about Sayyid Hanukkah, right? Bayomi Mahim, in those days, Basmanos at this time. Mm-hmm. This time is, it's, it's the same, in a way, it's the same time, but it's different era, different year, different century. But there is something parallel to the, in, in the energy structure, if you like, or the potential structure of what there is in the world. So on the one hand, each hour get, relives the same cycle, but it now lives it with a new hour behind it. Right. And that occurs through the day, and then there's a new day. So there's repetitions in the cycle, but there's also senses. They would definitely use the analogy of like a spiral. So often spirals in some coordinates are the same, some are different. But in one sense, no two moments of our life will ever be identical in that right. potential of power. Um, those two or three seconds, what happens then? Because Hashem like, makes the world live. Last for three seconds or two seconds. There's something. I mean, like, he's not. Yeah. No, no, he, he is running it, but he runs it for if you like a. I guess it's because our brains can only think in certain things. See, it's like pulse. It's like um, quanta, like little pulses of existence, pulse, a pulsated moment of existence, something like that. And that moment, he could of course make it much more um, continuous and less broken up than that. But he, for whatever reason, chooses to do it that way. But the point is that that means. Now let's go to the Chaim Mishdanim Oid Kol Shah. So that it changes also each hour. Let's see from There's other permutations. Of course, the natural way of dividing up the four letters of God's name gives you 12 permutations. And that's one. Each one corresponds to a different hour of the day. Right? The Chaim Ein Midas Yom Shavad Midas Laila. Day is not like night. So you've got the same 12 going through the day. So each hour of the day, if you like, has one natural permutation of God's name. Each within that hour, that has 1,080 super permutations. The 12 cycles repeated day and repeated night, but because it's night, there's a different set of energies and, and things around, different set of potential to what the day is. And that's why certain mitzvahs that only apply in the day and certain mitzvahs that only apply at night. This, by the way, is why certain mitzvahs only apply to a certain part of the day, right? You can only dive in at certain hours because there's certain spiritual potential or possibility there or certain, it's, it's, it's like Hashem said, it's not like Hashem has said, I want you to dive in Here's what davening does. Here's what it connects to in my will in the day, right? It almost sounds mechanical. One of the be- one of the wrong ways to learn this safer, by the way, and we'll see this again and again and again, is it becomes like mechanics. There is a sense that Hashem operates according to laws, just like he does in the physical world, he does in the spiritual world too. But it's not ever that he loses control of the mechanics. Any moment he could break it apart and he, he doesn't need to follow those laws, but he does operate according to those patterns so that we can make sense and relate to them, so that we can decide in Allah when this should be and this should be and this should be and this should be. Because but there's sensitivities to all that. Um, like if he said right now, Shabbat Pierce does, and we all had prophecy and said, Davin Shacharis right now, that would be an absolutely fine thing to do, right? But, uh, but, but, but we can't just decide to do that arbitrarily because that completely misses the way he said it all up. Okay.
That's why it says renews in his goodness. The work of creation be specific. In other words, it's not just our lives that are renewed every day. The entirety of existence is renewed every single day. And in fact, some every single moment. Tom it every single moment. Okay. Then the next agar, the next um any questions on all this? It's very, very, when you actually start to conceive what this is, it's actually very powerful and very beautiful because it literally means there's a relationship going on all the time between us and Hashem. It's like he never stops thinking about us, as it were, right? It's a powerful thing. No matter how much you love somebody, you don't think about them all the time. Right? And I have one day where you think about them for 80% of the day, you know, but you don't. He never, ever, ever do it. And it's very, because one of the things we'll get to later on in the Sefer as well is it's so easy for a person, and he'll say this explicitly in the fourth chapter, so easy for a person to say, I don't matter. And in a way, the core of the Sefer is, of course you matter. My action right now doesn't matter. Uh, right now, you matter. But all I could do right now is smile at somebody. All I could do right now is say some tailor. That matters. Creation has been redesigned, and in this moment, something's flowing in the world, right? If you do, you know. So whatever we can do in that moment is something the creator of the universe is thinking about and waiting for at that moment. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's uh, you know, and it also explains why I don't need to be perfect right now. Right now, I've got one job to do right now. Perfection can worry a bit later on, but each moment can be another bit of growth, another bit of growth, another bit of growth, another bit of, right? It doesn't have to be all at once, but each moment has something special in that moment, that moment, that moment. What's my, what height can I rise to right now? What height can I rise to right now? What height can I rise to right now? What? Is he turning on every single item and thing every second? Or is he just like plugging in the world? Like everything gets energy from that one, plugging in each. No, he says that there isn't a world to be plugged in. It's not like there's a world out there and Hashem plugs in an energy source to it. That's the whole point. He's the only source of the world. There is no other source of the world. When you really understand like philosophical arguments of God's existence, you know that everything depends upon an infinite creator. The, the, the end result of that process is that the universe or anything that could exist as divisible or finite or cannot exist without an infinite source, which means that it isn't there and Hashem acts upon it. It's thereness is Hashem's direct, what we would call conscious will, although it is apart from human experience, but that type of thing. And therefore, um, there is no such thing as being outside of that will. There is no such thing as, um, as it just existing and Hashem. It, so it doesn't need renewal, that's the point. It, it absolutely needs renewal. But... Hashem is renewal. That, yeah, Hashem's yeah. creation is renewal. Right. Hashem is the source of it. Exactly, that's exactly, that is the relationship between Hashem and the world, is perpetual renewal. Now, what he does, he does it in, in bursts, if you like, of these regas, but in really every single bit of that is also being renewed, but there is- Do it in bursts, or is that the only way we're, we're able to relate to it? Okay, you could say either way. Hashem's thinking all at once, if you like, but, but he, he, yes, so there's two different points here. One is that it never stops being dependent on Hashem's perpetual thinking. Yeah. And two is then within there are these kind of pulses, if you like, Right. To give us a sense of what we can be doing each, uh, yeah. Okay. Given the, what is outside of time? Yeah. How does that fit into? Yeah, you, that's why it's always. You can never really think about it from God's perspective because what we always do is put him into our perspective. 
we imagine us being outside of time. And what happens is time is ticking. So you ask silly questions. Like people ask silly questions like, could Hashem be bored? You know, like, no, outside of time. Yeah, but wouldn't outside of time be boring? No. <laughs> that's, that's if you think, right? So you're right. We, we can never really say things from Hashem's perspective because we will necessarily have the wrong picture. We'd have three dimensions of space and time. So yes, from whatever Hashem's perspective is, there isn't a, a flow of time from his experience, but we can't figure out what that means or we can't picture it or, or, ex, or experience it. So we shouldn't try. But so from within our perspective, we could then, you know, divide up each moment and say, this is now thought of 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 this. But yes, you, there's some other perspective in which it's all one, right? Even more so. But that's even more means that that the sort of, that, that when people think, you know, so maybe Hashem created the world and let it go, that would mean Hashem's in time, right? You know, that's, there's something other than Hashem which is sustained by. Then you've not got to the absolute root cause of all existence yet. The Rambam says, by the way, he says, you know, the real, 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 he spends a lot of chapters developing philosophical arguments of the existence of God. He says, it actually doesn't matter whether you believe the world has a beginning or not, right? which was a debate in those days, because no matter how you go, you're always going to collapse on infinite regresses and you're always going to end up with God at the root of all. But his main reason for doing it, he says, if you look at the Mishnah Torah, he kind of does an almost version of it in the beginning of, of, of if it's a lachob of the Mishnah Torah, obviously, the Torah is because once you really understand it, you realize how dependent existence must be on God, then you really get the idea of what the oneness of God means, the indivisibility of God, and the relationship between the creator and his creation. And in the end, the Rambam wants that to be that you can access. God is actually accessible. In fact, he disagreed with those who want to say, there's no laws of nature whatsoever. Hashem deliberately makes everything laws so that we can always trace and trace and trace and go deeper and deeper and deeper. Okay, that's just the Rambam, we're in here now. Next, the next, the final Haggai we look at is Afshu Shemeshutov. So then we said the name Elokim, right? So, so when we talk about Hashem being Elokim, what we mean is He's the source of all the power, energy, law, order, items in creation, everything. The final Haggai right at the end of the chapter says this: Afshu Shemeshutov Kol And the point I was making earlier, really, we use the same Hebrew letters Elohim to refer to anything with power. Right? I say it deliberately. Not Elohim, because Elohim just means it's secular. Behold, sorry, Malah. Anything that has power in the world, natural law and order, is Elohim. Uh, political power, Elohim. Judges, Elohim. Behold, sorry, Malah, All the officers of the higher world, in other words, the spiritual beings, angels, whatever, and all lower world ones as well, they're called Elohim. For example, it says, Elohei Ha'amim. Now, this is something you could easily misunderstand. The gods of the nations. So normally we understand gods of the nations are figments of their imagination. But in the more Kabbalistic understanding, there really are national forces. Now, even without getting very mystical, it's very, very clear that when Margaret Thatcher said famously or infamously, there's no such thing as society, depending on how she meant it, I don't know the context of it, of course there's such a thing as society. Society impacts people. Now, society is not a single conscious organism. It's like a beehive, right? The bees create the hive, but the hive then creates, the hive creates the behavior of the bee right? Collectives create the behavior of individuals. The language we use, the music we listen to, the taste in clothing, whether we're pros or anti, these are all created by the clan, right? The, the mimetics, the, the re, you know, it's almost like a, it's like a brain, how things, so the, the collective has a behavior. And if the spiritual roots and programming governing all bits of reality, then there must be of the collective too. And therefore there really are forces that drive national behavior because nations drive individual behavior, just like nations are made out of, just like the body is made out of cells and the brain is made out of cells, but the brain then changes what the cells do. Right? Well, that's the point I'm saying. Before you even get to, you realize, now once you realize that behind everything in this world, 
are, if you like, a set of algorithms that are conscious, alive things, right? Algorithm is just a good metaphor. And we call these things malochim. Remember, the problem with using the English word angel is our brain immediately gets stuck in some Renaissance painting or something, you know, and we have a baby flapping around with wings. What we mean, a malochim means a messengery device. So if you like, a good way to conceptualize in contemporary thinking is like some kind of behind-the-scenes algorithm, which, by the way, explains why you get these strange Gemaras sometimes about angels arguing with God. Argue with God. God just told you. Greg, God says in the splitting of the sea, Hashem says to the Malachim, you know, save the B'nai Yisrael, save them and kill the Egyptians, kill them, right? And they argue back and go, Ma, what's the difference in these and these, the Gemara says. What do you mean what's the difference? Hashem told you what to do, just do it. You know, no, so so they say to God, but halala halala these guys serve idols, these guys serve idols, you know, then the Hashem has to override, and that's why in the end he saves us and even loy Okay, that's a week later, but the point is that if you think about a manach is a program, and you tell the program, do something, and it's, it's whirring, trying to run, and it can't run. And Hashem's doing that because he's showing there needed to be an override of the natural system. That's why operating the manach, it couldn't operate, and now over is overridden. And that means that we are born in a certain sense such that the algorithms are not the source of our existence. We're coming from something much higher. That's the meaning of that particular idea. But those algorithms are conscious. They have some level of consciousness. We'll discuss them later on over here. Right? And so they're not just purely like our algorithms. They're like a, somewhat like an artificial intelligence. But okay, but, okay, but more, more subject to, to Hashem as well. The point is that those things, so you've got, now you have algorithms that drive national behavior. Malochim, angels that drive national behavior. Okay, now, um, so Nikos, that's what so then Cholso, that's what's Elohim. So there is a sense now, not gods in the sense that have any competitive power with Hashem. They are just, just like Hashem's running the world with meta structures, like how nations behave, and He runs it through all these different conscious things that operate various pieces, but ultimately all subject is will. And the, we have, well, later on, we'll discuss why you even need this. Why can't Hashem just directly do it? What's, what's He need all this, you know? machinery, if you like, which again, only really exists from our perspective. These are all things we'll touch. I'm just touching lots of things here, right? He's laying some groundwork here and all of this will come back to and, and flesh out and thicken our, and deepen our understanding of um, Every nation will go each in the name of its God. So yes, many of them believed in an in a, in a idolatrous, nonsensical being, right? A humanoid, an ancient father figure or something. I, that, that's nonsense. But I sometimes. But the point is there really, really are, actually, if you read it deeper, that behind the nonsense that they may have had philosophically, there really are powers that drive them. And sometimes those powers could interact with them. And they would confuse it and make a mistake and confuse that with, with, with the real source of reality. So that was not all paganism was total, 100% nonsense. It was all nonsense. But nonsense sometimes comes from, often falsehood is just a warping of truth. In fact, it's more often than not a warping of truth. So they detect maybe consciously or not consciously, or sometimes you could even have in, in the Bilon, for example, or, or, or um, he quotes over here, um, where are we? Sorry, I've lost the place. Yeah, Avimelech, Lovon. It's their kind of spiritual force. They're driving them the Diane matter, but also lower, but also judges can be called that. None of them have independent power. No, the sun doesn't have independent power. 
The laws of nature, nothing has independent power. The spiritual worlds, nothing has independent power. Only to the extent to which a Kodesh Baruch as it were, delegated, means operates via these laws. So he's thinking the universe, just like you can think a world into existence and give it laws of physics, but at any moment you could break them. You might give it laws of physics so that it operates in a way you could comprehend. In theory, if you could make something conscious within it, you might want it to be able to comprehend you, but at, at no point are you subject to those laws. So Hashem runs everything according to laws and rules and algorithms and, and malachim, but no point is he ever subject to them. He's the force of the forces. That Hashem, that's the four-letter name of God, is greater than all the forces. All the forces will bow down to God. Even in Daniel, when they, when they ultimately realize that beyond all the things they think of God, there's an ultimate one, that's also what it is. Now, why do we therefore call idolatrous gods other gods? Other means they are dependent, right? They depend on other. So they're not independent. Right? That's, so the simple level is you might say gods of others, right? What do you mean other gods? There's a pantheon of lots of gods. No. But what he's saying is the real meaning is they are gods that are other. In other words, they are not independent. They rely on other. They rely on something greater than them. The power that let's so let's say the power of planet Earth depends on on the sun, and the sun depends on this, and this depends on that. That's what Yirmiyahu says. This is by the way the depth of what we mean, right? Right at the end of Ayoma, right? That's this is how you're saying. Which based on say phrase that he is the real true power. Everything in the world that has any energy or power, it's from him. The words we finish Yom Kippur with seven times. Right, this is from that posse over there in Malachim. Right, I didn't say Malachim. Hashem is the real God. In other words, Hashem is the real power. That's the point. There's no other power but him. Now, what have we got from all this chapter? Let's, let's now come back to where we are. So what we've got so far is that we talked about us being in the image of God, but we use the word Elohim. And the reason for that is because there's a special relationship. Every name of God is a different relationship we have with him. The name that you have with the word Elohim is there's all this power in the physical world. All this power in deeper universes and deeper universes and deeper universes and deeper layers and layers and layers of reality. And all of it, all of it ultimately, is being powered by the source of all reality. On some, we're going to have to discuss in what possible way is man an image of that? In what possible way could we be an image of the source of all reality? We are not the source of all reality, right? Hashem is willing us into existence. Every single breath we take, every single electron moving around us, every spiritual power, physical power is being willed by Him. In what possible way could we have anything to do with that image? And that's going to be we answer that in the next chapter, and that's going to open up for us. Once we understand that, we're going to understand, we're going to have the portal to rethink almost everything that is in our daily Yiddishkeit, in our daily avoid, in our daily, in our daily work, and what it is to be a Jew, and what it is to, to do all these things. So this is a very exciting cliffhanger to be finishing on. And, uh, you said Elikim was physical power. Was it no, no. And, 
Elohim, when it's used as a secular word, can refer to anything with power, including physical powers, spiritual powers. When we call Elohim, that's God saying, it means all those powers are just his word. So there's the first layer of seeing things where we see all the stuff with power. There's electricity flowing over there. There's gravity operating on us right now. There's laws of, of biology, laws of chemistry, laws of physics, laws of mathematics. All these things are operating everywhere, right? Um, and then if we got deeper, we'd be sensitive to spiritual laws and all this kind of... But then as we go, and there's malachim operating and this operating, and as we go deeper and deeper, 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 we realize it's all familiar. Then we stop using the plural word Elohim and it becomes a singular word. What does it add? Because the four, the four letter name of... Hashem, you just said, is the renewal. It's, it, it's it, the everything. So. Well, no, no, no. The renewal is, is well, the four-letter name is much deeper than that. You don't relate to the four-letter name via seeing things in the world. And it, can, it means the master of all forces. So you've got to conceive of all forces, and then you can conceive that. If you saw beyond that, you wouldn't be able to use the name Elohim. There's a level where you can get so deep, you wouldn't be able to use that word anymore. If we dissolve all the way back, there'd be a point at which we can't really use that word. Whereas the name Yudkevavke, that relates to the pure will of God that you could always use. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. <clears throat> kind of touched on it, which wasn't part of the main topic, but angels, right? So I'm, being t- I'm, I'm like starting to question in terms of what was the purpose in God creating angels or beings in like the spiritual world? Yeah. Which he would then potentially have to override at some point. Yes, excellent, excellent, excellent question. And you could ask the same question in a way about laws of physics. Why did he bother doing them either? Right. I, yeah, I didn't want yeah. right. to... Really that's for us to relate. Yeah. Ah, because without the laws of physics, we can't relate to reality, right? right? And the Rambam pushes very hard against people who think that laws of physics aren't real. Now, obviously, on some level, it's all Hashem's will, but there's real, real reality to these laws. And as we get more and more spiritually tuned in, there also needs to be an interface between us and the direct revelation of God. So, um, so there needs to be these interfaces too. For example, when God appears to, when Hashem appears to Nevi'im, to prophets, he usually does it via a malach. Because, because if he directly revealed, then it just dissolves figments of his imagination. It would be almost impossible to sustain your existence completely, completely conscious of the creator that you're literally a thought. So, there's this intermediary, yeah, yeah, these intermediary levels, just like there's laws of physics, there's laws more abstract than them and so on, that we can climb the ladder all the way in. Okay, so then why would he create these intermediary levels, which could then also like, answer back at him? And No, so they can't really answer back at him in the sense that, um, well, I say that they, they, there might be some opinions there, but generally speaking, it's not that they can answer back at him, it's that when the Gemara is telling us that interaction, what it's meaning is Hashem says, okay, this now needs to happen in the world, the forces themselves, which are somewhat conscious, they're not completely unconscious things, they, um, they respond that they're unable to do it, and then we're created. And what that builds into the fabric of the program, if you like, is something that's outside the rules of the program. Clearly, so the, the, the very creation of what becomes Israel, becomes the Jewish people, is created such that the machinery is aware that it can't really generate it. And that means that built almost into the natural programming of the world is this. If we try to make our existence depend on the natural world, this is now Maharal, basically, we talked about Pesach. So if we try and base our existence on the natural world or even the supernatural worlds, they will basically not have us existing because we don't really exist under their program. Our existence comes from something higher, which means our existence only works to the extent to which we are plugged into something higher. This is the beginning of the root of why Jewish history is so bizarre. 
because it doesn't operate under the natural laws. The minute we try to sink into the natural world too much or subject ourselves to astrological things or astronomical or, 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 or supernatural things, the minute we lock into anything other than a Kodesh Baruch Hu, the world's built to almost destroy us. Right? So that's what the Torah says. If you, if you don't do what you're meant to do as a people, that, that's the challenge of taking on what it means to become Yisrael. But if you do take that on, you're going to have a world now that basically repels you on some level. It accepts you when you're plugged into Hashem because it understands that you don't work within its rules. You work within another set of rules. And that allows us to then drag history to towards where it needs to get to, which is why, right? Which what we're doing, we're taking a Torah that really belongs to the future, to the world as it will be. And we are living outside of the normal rules of space and time because we don't really, the whole purpose of what we're trying to do in this world is not to belong to the world the way the world is, right? Uh, but to try to, to live a reality that is the destiny where the world needs to get to. And that's why we say we really have, everyone you saw has a chilek, we have a natural portion in the world to come. That's designated for us if we, as long as we, we don't mess it up, right? Because we really belong in the future. And the root of that is that the creation itself was done in a way that the machinery recognizes we cannot bring this thing into existence. That's what's going on. So, and that's very important the world operates that way. If that made sense. Yeah, I know. Went so beyond answering the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a okay. good... Uh... Okay. But that's, that, no, but that's why it's important that there is this dialogue, that the system itself realizes we can't do this. And then Shem says, good. Now I'm going to do it, which means it's now not really under your auspices. And if it puts itself under your auspices, it doesn't belong there, right? You reject it. Um, and that's another reason why Ein Mazel Yisrael and why we don't, you know, the Rambam will say it's all nonsense, all this I belief in astrology and so on. That's why it's, it's forbidden that some others go in his way. But others go and say, no, um, there really are such realities. But if we subject ourselves to them, they've already rejected our, our possibility of existing. We've, we, we can't exist like that. Only exist in relation to Hashem. Okay, that's another bigger discussion. Look, like I say, these are the foundational chapters. The beauty is that it's, it's the, the rest, there's a lot more to pull out all of these things, but that's, uh, yeah, it's how amazing this safety yeah. is. <laughs> okay. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Next week, Amir Tashem. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah. I think can we keep holding these? Can we keep holding them or do you even buy? No, you can keep holding them. Is that? It's a bit of a little candle, really, but they were lit in the mirrors, but then, so if anyone's got a problem. It's not young, it's not <laughs> 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 Bring some donuts, then, Margaret. Uh, yeah. Donuts.